So he's, you know, pouring water into the engine and he's asking us about our favorite TV shows. And he says something like, do you like Jack Bauer? I love 24. And, you know, watching this, you know, we're talking about American TV shows. Well, in the back of my mind, I'm like, are we ever going to get out of here? (laughs) The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 356. With an average cost of $308 per night, this European city has the world's most expensive hotel rooms. Can you guess what city it is? Stick around to the end of the show and I'll give you the answer. Here's a quick hint. I once lived within one hour of this city. When I was younger, I used to only worry about the cheapest And some of that was built out of necessity. We didn't have a lot of money to travel or do a lot of things. So I had to make sure that I always went for the cheapest option. But what I quickly learned through traveling was that the cheapest is not always your best option. Instead, I decided to start focusing on the thing that gave me the most value or the most bang for your buck. Here's an example. When we went to Thailand, we stayed in a $2 a night hostel in Thailand. That was the cheapest I could find. We stayed there one night because it was absolutely awful. Then we upgraded to a $10 a night hotel. And let me tell you, it was over five times better. So now what I like to focus on is value. The thing that gives you the best bang for your buck. It doesn't have to be the cheapest, but it has to be something that's high quality, that's going to last, has to be something that's good for the price point. And that's why to this day, the bag that I take around the world with me are the Tortuga backpacks. If you want the best high quality, the best value out of any travel backpack that you are going to get, head on over to tortugabackpacks.com. They've got a range of options for you there. Don't forget, use the promo code EPOP. That's E-P-O-P, all capital letters. That'll get you 10% off your entire order. And don't forget, if you're about saving money on travel, and you are about saving money on travel, right? Right? Make sure you check out our app, Jetto, J-E-T-T-O. You can find it on any of the app stores, totally free to download. It is going to help you find the cheapest flights out there. We just had some amazing deals to some great places. We're talking French Polynesia. We're talking Vanuatu. We're talking Tahiti. Some really, really cool exotic remote locations for under 600 bucks, under 500 bucks. Crazy, crazy deals have been coming out. So check it out. Go download it on the App Store, J-E-T-T-O. Check it out. Download it for free and you'll be getting cheap flights to your phone in no time. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who has been to more than 50 countries who took a year-long round-the-world adventure in 2009, and who during this entire time kept a detailed and meticulous spreadsheet that any number-loving nerd like myself would geek out on, Brian Ty, founder of BudgetYourTrip.com. Brian, thanks for joining me, and a huge welcome. 
Thanks. Happy to be here. Looking forward to it. And to give everyone a little bit of background, I met Brian at TravelCon in Austin this past year. And when he told me what he did with Budget Your Trip, I instantly, it was two things. I was super excited because I I can't wait to go home and go on this site and dive into it. And I was also thought, how have I never seen this before? Because since I found it, Brian, I, it's really and an absolutely incredible resource for anyone looking to plan trips. So super excited for today's show because we're going to geek out about travel, saving money, two of my favorite things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, we're in the same boat here. Also, we're going to dive into how like how you're able to create this and, and what's involved and how people can get involved and, and all that kind of stuff. But first, I want to get back into your story a little bit because everything that you're doing revolves around travel and helping people travel and it comes from a love of travel that you have yourself. Where did that love of travel come from? Was that something you had as a kid or was there some sort of aha moment there? Yeah, I think so as a kid, like you're saying. I think a lot of people have a similar story where you know they traveled a lot as a kid and their parents took them to different places and I had the opportunity like in high school and college to go to a few different places and then after that, you know, I met my 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 girlfriend, who's now my wife in college, and she also loved travel. And uh, when we graduated, we started traveling some. Our, our trips kind of over the years got a little progressively longer as we sort of experimented with the idea of, of going different places and planning things on our own. And we did, you know, a few weeks here, a few weeks there, which slowly turned into a few months here and a few months there and and that kind of thing. And then um you know, like we, we, we do a couple of weeks in Europe and we planned it on our own. One of our first big trips, a couple of years out of college, this was like 15 years ago. We went to Italy for two weeks and, um, it was a big kind of negotiation between the two of us as to actually going to Italy versus like Switzerland and Austria and France and all these places, right? Like, where do we go? We only, at the time we both had full-time jobs. We had, you know, to maximize our vacation. So we, we eventually settled on Italy after reading a bunch of guidebooks and everything. We, we decided to plan it all ourselves. Some of our, you know, parents and friends and everything were like, oh, you should just do one of these tours, like a bus tour around Italy. And we were like, no, no, partly because of the price, but partly because we wanted to, like, get away from 30 other people on a bus with us. So we booked hotels. We didn't even really stay in hostels. We just kind of booked cheap hotels and we took trains everywhere. And it turned out to be the best thing ever because we fell in love with the idea of exploring on our own. And I think that's what drives me as a traveler. Like the idea that you can just sort of venture into this new land and discover the real people that live there. Um, and so over the the years, you know, a few weeks, like I said, turned into a few months and we, we'd meet people on trips who had been to different parts of the world. We ended up doing a month in Central America. And on our honeymoon, we got married and we spent three months in Southeast Asia. Um, we came back from that trip like, like, why was that only three months? Like, we met people who were traveling around the world. Uh, we were actually between jobs at the time. We we were living in D.C. and we were moving to San Francisco uh, after after we got married. Two super you know, two had, super cheap places, by the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know, my you know my wife had a job lined up in San Francisco, so we sort of needed to come back for that. And but we had met all these people who had been traveling for a year or whatever, and so. After a few years in San Francisco, we were like, let's do a like a big, long, year-long trip. So we planned a year-long trip. Um, that was in 2009. And that is, that's where I segue into the creation of our website because that that trip, you know, it's you can't just do a year-long trip and just sort of wing it financially unless you have a trust fund. And I do not have a trust fund. And you know what? Most of the other travelers I know of don't have trust funds either. So that's what kind of gave birth to the idea of our trip. My wife and I 
we kind of argue over whose idea the website was because we both sort of had different sort of founding ideas of like like smaller ideas and then ultimately kind of all came together we were like asking other travelers how much they were paying and we had our spreadsheet and some other travelers were like i want to see your spreadsheet and other travelers had similar things where they were like i don't have a spreadsheet but you know they'd pull out their credit card statement and show us and that kind of thing and and so we were kind of like you know this this should be a website where everybody can just give us all their private personal information that no one wants to see. That's right. That's <laughs> but at the same time, like everyone wants to see this because, you know, it's like we all want to know how much stuff costs in the next city we're going to. So that's ultimately what gave birth to the whole idea of like, let's get everybody's travel expenses and put them all together and do it in a way that's anonymous, but also do it in a way that we can you know, run some math and some nerdy statistics on it to really kind of get some information out of it. Yeah, um, when when you guys left on that trip in 2009 around the world, what was the thinking behind it? Did did you have this idea of, all right, we're going to start this website and that's going to be no. the thing that gets <laughs> us? Okay, so no, you weren't you weren't no. like, hey, I'm, I'm going to become location independent. I'm going to work from anywhere. It was, we're going on a trip. We're coming home, yeah. and we're going to figure it out when we get I home. I think we were we were naive to the idea of location independence. Mm. We were naive to the idea of like a perpetual infinite trip. And only after the trip, and only after meeting other people and seeing other people online, like with blogs. I think even at the time, Nomadic Matt was still just getting started. Um, and, the, and these people who found ways to do it sort of infinitely. Like we had no idea that, it, that that existed. We saved a certain amount of money to travel for a certain amount of time. And we, you know, we left in January of that year, um, like right after Christmas and New Year's. And our plan was to be back the following before the following Christmas because um, we we're kind of like, well, you know, we want to spend Christmas with family. So we'll probably be back by then. And we kind of had this budget. We didn't plan to work on the trip or make money on the trip or do anything. We just planned to keep track of our expenses so we didn't go broke, so we could actually make it through the whole year. And that's what led to this super, you know, OCD spreadsheet. Um, my wife and I were both very, like, cautious and careful. We were not only staying in hostels, but we were trying to do public transportation, trying to do everything as cheap as we can. We picked destinations that were cheap. We did not spend, we spent hardly any time in Western Europe. I think of the whole year, we spent maybe a week and a half in Western Europe and another two or three weeks in Eastern Europe. Um, the other expensive countries that we were on in that trip was probably Israel, which we were there for about three weeks, and Japan for a week. The rest of the places we went were relatively affordable, um, and and some of the places were just super crazy cheap, you know? So that was part of the, the planning process for the trip, is just to make it go as long as possible, make it last as long as possible. I think if somebody had said ahead of time, like, you wanna like figure out a way to make this last forever, we we would have been on board, but we were naive to that. Yeah, you didn't you didn't even know. Like again, you yeah. you you don't know what you don't know. There, my question with that then, when you did get to the end of that year, were you had you spent more than you thought you would spend, or had you come in under what your budget was? It was pretty close. Yeah, um, we were a little bit under. Uh, only I think because we knew we kind of had this reserve that we wanted to come back with a little bit of money to get us started you know, to, to find a place. We still, when we came back, we still stayed with our, our parents, both my parents and my wife's parents for, you know, a couple months off and on until we settled on moving somewhere and everything and getting our own place. Um, 
But when we came back, we at that point, we did decide to start working for ourselves, partly on the website that we had created and we're just launching. We launched it. We came back from our trip in Jan uh, December of that year and we launched in January of the next year, 2010. In January 2010, we launched the website. And of course, we weren't making any money off of it or anything at the time. And I am a software developer, so I decided, hey, I'm gonna work for myself doing software development for hire, you know, freelance, and my wife is gonna spend her time on the, uh, on the website and try to grow that. And so we did that for a while. What um, what was your original budget, if you don't mind me asking, for for that 2009 trip? That basically January 2009 to December 2009. What what did you plan on? About it was about twenty five thousand. Okay. So and I, you know a lot of people have asked us stuff like that, like and I think there's no one right set answer. You can't say a trip around the world is going to cost this much money because there's so many variables. And we've written about that on our website. Like if you were to spend a year in Europe. It would cost you a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and depending where in Europe, right? Like if you're exactly. in Portugal, it's way cheaper than if you're in Paris. It's still yeah. going to be expensive compared to Thailand, but exactly, yeah, exactly. And we, you know, the cheapest place we went on that trip was India, um, by far crazy cheap. I think at the time, the two of us together, including transportation between cities and everything, it was like twenty bucks a day. Um, I mean, and you know, you could live in India obviously on a lot less for a year. Uh, and if you travel slow, you know, everybody talks about slow travel. It actually helps you save money because you're not spending money on flights or buses or trains and you, you're, you're more hunkered down. Right. Um, and you get to see more that way, too. I think that's also definitely a, a cheaper way to travel. Hostels, street food, you know, all those things. So there's no answer. You know? Yeah. And you get to know that when you slow travel, too. Right. Is. All right, where is the cheapest, best restaurant? Or, hey, you get deals on accommodations, obviously, because you're booking for a week or a month or, or multiple months. Were you always someone who tracked your spending so closely? Or was that something that came out of, hey, we, like, we know we're going to travel and we want to make this work? Or, or was that, had that come out of your past, like even when you, before you took your first trip or your first big trip, were you guys pretty cut and dry? Here's our budget. All right, we're not. We're not going out to eat in D.C. every night type yeah. people. I think I think I did a little bit. I think it was my wife that I need to give credit for, for kind of reining me in, reining my spending in. She was a little bit more um, controlled with her spending and got me on board with the idea of sort of prioritizing spending. Um, that being said, I was never the kind of person to just go out and buy everything. I was always kind of a saver. I just never really put it down to, to, the, to the detail that she she did. And I think I think the two of us. Have a, have a good marriage, you know, so to speak, in that in that financially, and that we're on the same page. I think a lot of marriages, uh, whether you're married or not, couples have problems with money simply because of priorities. Um, but fortunately, we have the same priority when it comes to that kind of thing. We look to the future and look to what we really want to spend our money on, you know. And so we did, you know, like you said, not eat out all the time and start planning to save money, not just for that trip, but for the other trips we did before and after. Yeah, what did that look like then? So you came home from that big trip, December two thousand and nine. You decided, all right, we're starting, we're starting this website. You've got it up in a month, which is crazy. And then you, oh no, no, we we actually spent like the six months while we were on the trip. The set, the second half of the trip, we were actually doing a lot of programming uh, and development. Okay. When we had the idea, we started, you know, formulating. So it wasn't that we just threw up the site in a month. We definitely had a lot of lead, lead, you know, lead time in there. Gotcha. So you were then the second half of the trip working on the site, preparing it when you got home to get it out. And then your wife was, you got home, wife's working on the site. 
you're you're uh, going back into software development. What then was the progression, both in your travel life and when were you able to make it that you were able to you know a not have to be tied to a location if you didn't want to be? Yeah. So a couple years later, we did a a trip to China and Mongolia, which was about two months over the summer of 2011, I guess it was. And then um, after that, I was still doing independent freelancing, but I decided that I just wanted to go back to a full-time job for a little while for the stability of of money and because we were starting a family. Um, and then just in the last two years, we've been working on the website full-time. The, the website has just started supporting us full-time. It was one of those things where it, you know, it slowly made a little bit of money here and there, maybe a few hundred dollars a month at the beginning, and then it just slowly grew, and we figured out how to make the finances work um, to the point where we're just now supporting us full-time now for the last two years. Which is awesome. How It, it is awesome. Yeah, it's... It, it, I mean, it's all. I know it happens, and we, we have a community around people who make it happen, but still, every time I hear someone say... Hey, I had this idea. It might have taken longer than you thought. It might have taken shorter, whatever. But to get to the point where you're saying, here's what I'm doing, because I always get that question. Probably you do too, Brian. It's like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I have a blog, a podcast. You know, we have these prices. Like, okay, yeah, well, what do you do? I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, that, I'm, this is my job. They're like, right. <laughs> oh, you make money from it? I'm like, what well, is it? Yeah, I, I, again, no trust fund. Yes, there has to be money coming from. So it's always awesome to still hear that come from other people too, that it is possible to do that it is possible it took a long time it took a lot of work it took a lot of patience and a lot of experimentation there were times when we thought about throwing in the towel there were times when we thought about and did just totally like try something new with the site and then six months later just take it all down and gut it and sort of like reformat everything um, there were definitely struggles you know google slapped us down a couple times here and there and uh you know we've We've been through kind of a little bit of everything business-wise with it, and now it's it's stable. You know, we're not we're nowhere near millionaires. It's just kind of like a stable income. You're so. you're a millionaire in India, though. There you oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How has your t- travel style changed since that? I, I don't want to say that first trip because I know you were traveling before that, but since that 2009 trip, that big one what, that you had budgeted for. How have you found that your travel style has changed? And I'd love for you to compare it to your wife, wives, wives too. Um, not wives. I, I don't yeah. think that's the right word. Um, how has that changed? Has have you loosened the purse strings a bit? You know, what does it look like now compared to the type of travel you were doing then? Yeah, I think the biggest change for us has been starting a family. You know, we have a daughter who's four, and she can't stay at a hostel in a, in a dorm with, you know, eight other people who are looking to stay up all night. Um, I, I still enjoy that for the most part, but I think that I, I hate to say this, but as we've gotten older, we've gotten, we've desired more luxuries, um, for us, but also, you know, for our daughter, you know, your priorities change when you have kids as, as you <laughs> found out yourself lately. Um, and so that has changed our style. Now we're staying in private rooms and not dorms when we travel. We're doing more road trips um, where we kind of control where we want to go and not taking public transportation. Um, not this past summer, but the summer before that, we took a road trip across the U.S. and Canada for about two and a half to three months. Um, we live in North Carolina and we basically drove up to Chicago and then west to Seattle and then up into Canada and then back down through 
um, like Nebraska and stuff. So we saw national parks and we saw amazing cities and all these things. But, you know, we took our own vehicle and we we planned to camp some. We we camped. But when you camp with a toddler, you kind of take your whole house with you. <laughs> um, so we were we were car camping, uh, but we were staying in a lot of hotels as well. So I can't say that the whole trip was a camping trip because it definitely was not. Um, we were staying in a lot of hotels. Um, it was it was hard at times because our daughter just there were times when she just didn't want to be there and she wanted to go home. And there were other times when she didn't want to go to sleep. She wanted to stay up all night and go see the mountains or whatever. And we were exhausted. And so, you know, your, your priorities change, your, your physical needs change when you have a kid. I think that's the thing that changes it the most. You know, some people say they don't want to stay in hostels anymore because they're too old or whatever. But I think that's more of a mindset. Like I, you know, I stayed in a hostel when we were at TravelCon and it was fun. Um, I would not have taken if I had had my daughter with me at TravelCon. I would not have done that though. Yeah, so. and I think that's totally fine. Like I like asking that question because our travel style has changed too, and I think it naturally changes with age, with responsibility, whether it come with a family or hey, you're a solo traveler now. You're with the, you know now you're part of a couple, so there's two people's um, opinions that come involved. Whether it become uh, changes sometimes because you do have the ability. To, to have some luxuries, whereas before that wasn't even an option. Like sometimes you're doing the cheapest thing possible because that's the only way you can stay on the road. So I never, like I always say to people, there's no wrong way to travel. If you're super luxury traveler and we've had those people on the podcast, that's fine. I, you know, if you're a super, super yeah. budget traveler, that's fine. If you're someone oh, yeah. who has gone from one and gone to the other and then goes back, like again, it's all based on your situation. I think that's that's the beauty of travel, and that's what I love about your site as well. You're not saying, hey, this is how much it costs to go to this place, and this is a one-size-fits-all for anyone. It's $50 a day in India. It's 150 in Paris. Like, no, you could, I mean, you, plus minus tons of percentage points on either end based on how you want to travel. So that does bring me to the idea of of your data and where you get it, because I want to talk about the the site, because I know people, if they're like me, they're going to nerd out on it and they could go find all the stuff. But I do want to talk about where you get your data and, and how it's, you know, how can people know it's reliable? Because one thing I love about Budget Your Trip with you guys, you know, when I go to TripAdvisor, I read a review, I have no idea who that person is. And they could say it's the best restaurant ever. I could go, it could be awful. So there's this idea of anonymous reviews. How do you make sure this is good data or this is in line with what we're trying to get? Yeah, so that, that's a lot of questions. I'll try to start <laughs> one at a time. So budgetertrip.com was born from the idea that we can take everyone's travel expenses and combine them together statistically to see what the averages look like, right? So um, basically the, the, the data comes from lots of other people. People log into our site, they create an account. It's free to do that and you can enter your travel expenses. When you do that, you can see charts and graphs and get an idea of what your spending is like. But at the same time, all those expenses that you enter are then anonymously averaged and aggregated with everyone else's expenses to create averages for cities around the world. So all of the data we have, and it's, it's all come from approximately 50,000 people. All the data we have has come from other people. So when you look at the major cities, we have like thousands of data points for all the major cities around the world. Some of the smaller cities or small towns in the middle of nowhere, there might only be data for like one person who contributed to that. Um, but for places like Paris and London and, and the major cities around the world, we have thousands of data points. And so it's sort of like, like that example you gave about that person who gave a review about a restaurant. 
Well, if if you had thousands and thousands of reviews for a restaurant that were all like, this is a five out of five restaurant, you can't go wrong here. That's really the data that we're talking about that we want to see. You know, one person saying it's great is that's a good recommendation. But when a million people say it's great, that's that's the real deal. Right. So that's really what we're going for. We're trying to get so much data that the numbers come out to look like actual important. Real like like a a line in the sand of like how much you can expect to pay in Paris. Right. And we've had a lot of people give us feedback and say like, yeah, this is really kind of spot on. Like I see how when I go to a city like this and I look at your costs, this is pretty accurate. You know, like the the information is meant to be used in a variety of different ways. I, and I always tell people this, like the data we have on the site is, it, they are averages, right? Like you're never gonna spend exactly the average, but it's meant to be used as sort of like a guidepost sort of like a guideline or even a comparison. You might compare Paris to Berlin or France to, to Thailand, you know, which is not much of a comparison given the costs, right? But but that's sort of what it's meant to be. It's like it's a it's a planning resource, it's a it's a budgeting resource to give you an idea of what you can expect and and to see if you're on on par with other people. And one of the neat things that I love about it is that there is a there's a drop down menu for where you are to say, hey, what's your travel style? Budget, mid range, or luxury? Which I love because, again, that it's it's gonna look so much different if you're if you're traveling luxury or if you're traveling budget. And so having those three tiers is is invaluable because I could sit there and say, all right, I'm probably pretty close to the normal mid range, or eh, I skew like a little between budget and mid range, what have you. So it's it's awesome that it it has that because that's going to just help you niche down, niche down, niche down to get it tighter and tighter. You said you guys have about 50,000 people have put stuff in. How did you, and that's amazing. And that's what I love about it is it is aggregated. Once you get, I don't know this, I forget my statistics class in college, but you know, you get a certain number of people and it becomes like valid data points, right? You you have so much that you're like, Hey, the numbers aren't going to lie when you have this many people. How did you start getting people to use in the beginning? Cause that would seem to be the hardest obstacle that you would face to start it it definitely was hard um we built the site we put it out there about a month later we were like you know no one's looking at the site except my mom and um (laughs) what do we do now so we put out we actually put out a press release just thinking like i don't know is this gonna work i've never written a press release i don't know what i'm doing right so we put out a press release and it actually got featured on a few um websites like mashable uh thrillist Another month later, it was featured in the Washington Post in their travel section. Um, and so that was sort of the the catalyst that got people starting to use it. Um, we had these spikes in traffic where it was like three, 4,000 people in one day would look at the website. And that was just mind boggling to us back then where we went from like, you know, 20 people to like a few thousand people. Of course, now, you know, we've we've managed to get popular enough and do enough marketing efforts in various ways that we've far surpassed that kind of traffic levels. And so, but we look back at those early days and we're just like, how did we get started with this? How do we do this? We were all kind of self-taught with that kind of stuff. Like I didn't have a marketing background and neither did my wife. And um, so it was all kind of new to us, but we just kind of knew it was a good idea. And, And other people thought it was a good idea too, because there was nothing else really like it out there. There was travel blogs and people posting about their trips to Paris or wherever they went and how much it costs. But that's just like, like you said, it's just one person's data 
which is useful. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'll go and look at people's blogs and see how much they spent because I'm into that kind of thing. Well, and it's, and helpful, it, but, and it's especially yeah. useful if you follow them for a while and you and you understand their travel style and you're like, oh, I'm I'm like that. But it's not useful if a you don't you know you've just come on their thing from Google and you're like, well, I have no idea what this person travels like or or how they travel or they're a different type of traveler than you. Then you're like, well, I could take a guess, but it's a it's a big guess then. Yeah, totally. And like you said, it was important for us too to distinguish between budget, mid-range, and luxury. Because while I would like to travel in luxury all the time, I just can't afford it. Um, <laughs> and I know other people are the same way. And so like as backpackers, it's not fair to compare us to people who stay at like sort of what I would consider a mid to expensive hotel like Marriott or the Sheraton or even like high-end resorts and things like that. Or if you can't compare all-inclusive resorts or an all-inclusive tour to somebody who's riding the chicken bus. And we knew that from the beginning. And so that's one interesting tidbit is like in the very beginning, we used to ask people what style they were traveling in, whether it was budget, mid-range or luxury. And those numbers that they entered would then go to the different categories, right? But what we found was even though people were traveling in what most people would consider luxury, nobody admitted to traveling in luxury. (laughs) They were like, I'm staying at the Four Seasons Resort, um, but this is a mid-range trip. It's like, well, it might be mid-range for you, buddy. Right. <laughs> I didn't have I'm the a... helicopter drop me off at the Four Seasons. Right. <laughs> I only took a taxi, so it's mid-range. So we had approximately, you know, roughly zero people say they were traveling in luxury. So what we did is we revamped the the algorithm to say, like, okay, well, we're gonna use math to look at what's actually budget and luxury. Right. And, and so that's how it works now. We don't even bother asking people um, or we ask, but we don't use it, I think, is how it works. <laughs> so, so when they put so when someone puts in their data, your your algorithm is going to say, all right, they spent X amount on a hotel or, or there's these points where if they put this number in for this, it, it puts them in that bucket then for the rest of their trip based on on that. And, and is what is that? Mm. Or go ahead. Yeah. Explain to me how well, that works. Kinda, so that's interesting. It takes, to it takes all the data and then it uses you know, the, if you remember from high school or college math, the, the concept of standard deviations, um, along with some other things to calculate, like, you know, we, we remove the outliers because there's always those people who are like, you know, there's the example I was used is there's this one guy who went to, I think it was Amsterdam and dropped like 2000 euros in one night on alcohol. So there's like this line item in our database for like 2000 euros for alcohol for one night. And of course that messed up the, the averages. And so we, we remove the outliers, statistically speaking, like the top and bottom, you know, five to 10 percent. And then the, the middle chunk, we look at standard deviations and things like that. So um, and there's other examples where, you know, somebody went to the Philippines and spent like two thousand dollars a night on some resort. And like that's not normal, not only in the Philippines, but that's not normal anywhere. So, we, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. We can also we also do kind of comb through the data ourselves um, to to see if there's anything that's just really crazy in there. Because people do enter data wrong, or sometimes they enter a typo or something like that, or they enter things in the wrong category. Um, that That's kind of a lot of work for us to go through, but we do do it to make sure that everything looks looks kosher. Um, but as we get to the point where there's just so much data for a big city, some of those, a single data point just doesn't matter anymore because you've got this huge volume of data that just says, nope, this is what the average is. One more little drop in the bucket is not really going to change it. It takes a big wave of people to come in and change it. Have there been other instances or, or big changes with the site? Like you mentioned, the, hey, we used to tell have people put 
their own level of travel. And here's what we saw happen. No one wanted luxury. So now we're going to do it for them. Has there been anything else that you've made that's been a, I don't want to say it's a big pivot because it's just, you know, it's a small part of the whole site, but that have stuck out as like, oh, we we thought this was going to happen. Whoops. No, this happened. And here's how we we dealt with it. Yeah, we um we started adding a lot more content to the site than just than just numbers. Um, and we did that for a number of reasons. And one, because people want more information. You know, they don't just want the numbers. They want more of a travel guide as well. Um, and so in, in some ways, in some ways, we, we sort of compare ourselves to a travel blog because there's there's bloggers out there writing about their trips. And we put a lot of our own personal experiences into it. Um, we have also hired a handful of contract writers to put their own personal experiences into it for places we haven't been. So there's more there's more than just data. Now there's content for, you know, most major cities around the world. Um, there it's it, we also wanted to make sure that, you know, Google could find a lot of those pages and Google just saw pages and pages of numbers, which um, did not do very well. So they they sort of smacked us down one year for that because we're doing really well and then we're not so well. And then we, when we looked at the site, we realized so that's a hint for some travel bloggers out there, like make sure you have good content on your site because <laughs> Google just saw all our thousands and thousands of pages of data as, as not good content, um, even though I think a human did find it useful. So so for a variety of reasons, you know, we're adding more text-based written content about, you know, travel advice. We want to be, given the nature of the data, we want to be a practical planning guide and less of an inspirational guide. So that's kind of where we are with the kind of information that's on our site. Um, I wrote up a little, like a guide to how to plan a trip around the world because a lot of people were asking for that kind of thing. A lot more people have done that these days now. So I think there's plenty of guides out there on how to do that. If people want to do that, I think that's awesome. Just the sabbatical, the, the gap year, whatever you want to call it, like, I think something comes from long-term travel that you get for yourself from a learning point of view that you just can't replicate in any other way. Um, so there's a lot of information about that on the site. We also have a lot of hostel reviews and we're starting to get into some more like tours and activities and day trips and things like that where we want to be like, hey, you know, if you're on a budget, you can do this. If you're mid-range, you can do this. So here's some good things to do. Um, in, in different activity, in different places, different activities in different places, right? Yeah, because so. I think that's super helpful too. And I, I like that you started with the numbers because I think so. I think for most people, they go who are writing about this, they go away from the numbers. Like it's more of this text based stuff and less of the data. And you said, all right, well, we're starting with the data and now we're helping paint the picture with the content and, and including stuff like, all right, well, I know a hostel is going to cost me 35 bucks in Prague, but what's you know, there might be a $35 a night hostel that's awesome. And there might be a $35 a night hostel that's awful. So I like that now you're saying, all right, and we have these data points and we have our own experience. So now we're not only going to tell you how much it costs, but we're going to try to help you no matter how much you're spending, make the best use of that spending by giving you recommendations on, on different things, activities, hostels, hotels, what have you. Yeah. And I think that's also something that our site is all about is um, it's easy to go on a big website like Expedia or Hotels.com and find out how much a hotel or a hostel costs, find out how much a flight costs. It's all the other things that you kind of don't always know how much it costs. And, you know, when you think about $35 or 35 euros in Prague for a hostel or whatever it is, okay, but how much are you going to spend on all the cool activities that you want to do in Prague, right? And I'm not just talking about drinking because that's a fun activity too, but all the tours <laughs> and the activities, right? And so these are the things that are kind of missing from a lot of the major websites, right? So, cause those, they tend to see, 
you know, see you as a, as a pocketbook, right? Like, oh, you need a flight, you need a hotel, anything else, we want you to buy this package tour. And as an independent budget traveler, most of those kind of people like myself don't buy package tours. We just buy piecemeal little activities. Or even if that, you just you just show up at the museum and buy a ticket and go in or you, you know what I mean, right? Like you don't need a tour. You can't afford the tour. You just you're just going to go and, you, you know, do whatever you can for free or for cheap. So that, I think, is kind of where the real like value of of our you know budget oriented site and our independent travels oriented site is for the for the traveler. Right. I, I agree. What are destinations that are the biggest surprises for you? And by that, I mean, either. You know, they've they seem to be like the numbers bear out that they're cheaper than you thought they would be or they're more expensive. Like, has anything struck you as you're going through like, whoa, I didn't yeah. I didn't think this would be like this. Sure. No, that's a good question. And I think, um, you know, there's that that whole saying about how stereotypes exist for a reason. You know, Southeast Asia, the, the stereotype is that it's cheap um, and, and you know what it is. It is cheap. Um, but a lot of the major cities in places that are known to be cheap are actually a lot more expensive than people think they are. Um, like Bangkok, for example. Yeah, it can be done really cheaply, but if you really want to enjoy it, you're going to have to up your budget a little bit. It's not Paris or London, but you still got to up your budget a little bit, right? Um, other places that are kind of surprisingly expensive, both from my personal experience and from seeing the numbers, uh, big cities in Japan, um, some of the places in, in, in South America, I've not actually been to a lot of places in South America, but some of the bigger cities in South America are, are a lot more expensive than people realize, especially like Chile. Um, the Middle East is surprising, can be surprisingly expensive. Um, and another place that we went on our, our year-round trip around the world was West Africa, and it is also surprisingly expensive. Um, it's not crazy expensive. It's not as expensive as Europe, but the Middle East – or sorry – West Africa can be surprisingly expensive in the Middle East, Israel, especially more expensive than Europe um, for a lot of people. So, yeah, I, and I think, too, you know, those lists always come out of most expensive cities in the world to live. And you always see a Western African city at the top. You're like, what? Like Lagos, Nigeria? Why is it so expensive? Because, you know, they're looking and they look at it not through a budget travel lens, but they're looking at it through, hey, if you want to have the same type of apartment as you do in Philadelphia and eat the same food and this and that. All of a sudden, that's the most expensive city in the world because to get that option is so much more expensive because the only people taking it are the people who are there as expats or diplomats exactly. coming through. So I, I love those lists, but they skew it too, right? Because yeah. that's not who we are. We're not looking to live this lavish lifestyle. It's like, what What about if I came traveling? But I do agree if, if you want and, – and that goes back to your Bangkok point – if you want kind of the Western, and I don't want to say luxuries, but even just regularities or normalities, you're going to pay a little more than you than you would, or a lot more than you would, if you live like a local. And I think that's what shocks some people sometimes. Like, oh, I heard it was so cheap. Well, yeah, if if you wanted to live like a local, some people do. But even myself, I mean, that can be tough in some of those countries. Yeah, totally. It's sort of like, you know, in the U.S., we often talk about, you know, the price differences like like the wage gap and the wealth gap between the poor and the wealthy. Well, in other countries, it's it's even more extreme, especially in African countries or, or some Asian countries. So yeah, you can you can find a, a dirt cheap hostel or or guest house or whatever and stay there. You know, you might not like it, but you you can survive for really cheap. But if you want that luxury experience, 
you're looking at like the other end of the spectrum, even multiplied even more by what you might expect at home because it can be even that much more expensive. It's all supply and demand kind of, you know, that's, that was our experience in West Africa is there just aren't a lot of hotels and, and other infrastructure for tourists. And so that what is there and what does exist, the prices are, are a lot higher than what you would think. Of course, a lot of the locals are, you know, living, you know, hand to mouth, so to speak. Uh, but you as a tourist come in and, you know, you might want to try to live that lifestyle for a little bit, but there, you know, there's a limit to, to what you might be able to take and things like that. And even whether it's a, a missionary kind of trip or you're just a traveler or whether you're there working as part of the Peace Corps or an NGO or whatever, there's sort of this higher level of, of luxury that you're going to have to expect to pay for in a lot of places. Yeah. And we, we noticed that when we were in Myanmar was people were like, oh, it's like Thailand was 30 years ago. So we're super excited to go and see that. And in one way, that was great. In the other way, as far as infrastructure, it was not so great because what does Thailand have? Amazing awesome cheap options and amazing mid-level options and then amazing luxury options like any yeah. spectrum anywhere on the spectrum you're getting a great bang for your buck in thailand while me and mar you're like i'm paying three times as much for this crappy hostel than i would in thailand and it's five times as bad and there's no mid-range and the if i want something decent i'm going to the shangri-la i'm paying 300 dollars a night so you know that's that i think is was a shock to me was i just kind of assumed Everywhere would kind of would have stuff on all parts of the spectrum, and some places don't. It's either really bad or or super high end, and it's very hard to find a mid mid level option there. Um, in Myanmar and and some of the places you mentioned as well. Yeah, definitely our experience as well. And um and in some ways I think those are the experiences that help you grow as a person. <laughs> you know, sure. to to sound cliche, but like you know that's why I travel. I want to get in with the you know, with the local people sometimes to see how they really live. Um, and, and, and that's what I love. You know, I'm also, my wife and I are also in, into photography. And I think that's another, another thing that brings out the traveler in you is, is getting to sort of like capture those images that, that you can take home with you and then remind you of like what things were like and what things are like on the other side of the world and how people are living so differently than how we're living and how in some ways we're so lucky to have what we have. Um, and in a lot of ways, that's what travel brings to me. But from a cost point of view, getting back to the cost of it, like there's just it. I think travel also teaches us about our own economic stability here in the United States and about, you know, even if we are struggling financially, we still have way plumbing. <laughs> yeah. Right. There, you still have the options to get healthy food on a regular basis. So. Yeah, it's 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 is shocking sometimes when you go to those countries, and that's what can be hard about traveling. And again, like you mentioned, ultimately rewarding or at least eye opening, and, and makes you feel yeah, like, totally. all right, I, I'm seeing something that I wouldn't have seen if I was sitting at home on my couch. I'm going to put you on the hot seat here for a second. Do you have a favorite budget, a favorite mid level, and a favorite splurge destination? Like just off the top of your head, if someone's a budget traveler, you'd be like, all right, this is where you should go. Because it's it's going to be great for you. And then likewise for mid-level and splurge. Yeah, good questions. I think I have a hard time answering that question because I have so many favorites in the yeah. world. Well, let them roll um, off. That's fine. We don't we don't <laughs> have to hold each other, ourselves to one. As Heather and I always do, we're like, we'll give you one. And then five places later. Yeah, like, okay. So here's my uh, top 2,000 places around the world. Um, <laughs> I think as far as budget places go, you know, um, Central America has a lot of great options. 
Um, it's so close to the U.S. You know, if you're an American, you can just hop down there because it's so close. There's no jet lag, right? Everything's, um, especially countries like Costa Rica and Panama, like they have the the budget, mid-range and luxury options that, are, you know, you can be comfortable at just like you'd be at home, but everything's so much cheaper. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about Southeast Asia. I think Thailand, in my mind, Thailand was one of my least favorite countries in Southeast Asia. And I know a lot of people are probably going to be, you know, saying what, and you know, for that, but um in my mind, you know, Thailand is oversaturated with tourists. And and, and I was there in 2006. So this was like a long time ago and it was oversaturated. Well, don't, so don't go back. Like yeah, don't go back then if or now if you thought it was oversaturated. Then. Um, I thought I thought Vietnam was amazing. We spent a month in Vietnam. Amazing. Like real people, real culture. Um, everywhere you go, you are with Vietnamese people. Yes, there's tourists, but... In Thailand, I felt like everywhere I went, I was with tourists. But in Vietnam, everywhere I went, I was with the Vietnamese people. Um, same with Cambodia, although parts of Cambodia are a lot more tourists, like especially around Siem Reap. Budget places, I had some favorites in the Middle East, but the Middle East has changed so much lately. I can't even name those as budget places anymore. We went to the, the Baltics on our trip and like Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. I don't know if I'd classify them as budget. They're probably mid-range because they're in Europe, but amazing countries that are that are really coming of their own. At the time when we were there, they had just become part of the EU and they really wanted to be part of like the global community coming out of the communist bloc and stuff like that. The people were super friendly. It wasn't too expensive. The sites are amazing. There's people out there on like the, the countryside living the farming lifestyle and then the people in the big cities like with these old cobblestone streets and everything. It's like the best of what Europe has to offer up there. Okay, so we'll um, put we'll put that in mid level. I think that's fair, okay, right? Sure. We'll put it in mid level. <laughs> budget, but budget. If you're going, if if you're only planning on going to Europe, well, that's going to be your reprieve when you go for budget. Exactly. But <laughs> but around the world, we put that in mid level. So that's some of your favorite mid level. Any other mid level or splurge places that you're like, hey, I, you know, this just is top of mind. Yeah, Turkey is one of my absolute favorite countries. Um, I know that there's been some political stuff going on there lately, but I think it's still safe for travelers. You know, it's, um, stay away from like the borders of Syria, obviously, and you'll be fine. Um, Istanbul is like the best city in the world. My personal favorite of all the cities in the world, I would go back to Istanbul at the drop of a hat, just mind blowing. And then the rest of Turkey, Turkey has so much to offer from beautiful Mediterranean coastline with clear blue water to like the inland areas of like like Cappadocia is sort of this natural geological formations where people live in caves and um, to P Pamukkale or Pamukkale. I'm not I never know how to pronounce these things. I'm an ignorant American when it comes to pronunciation. But that's that place is also beautiful. Um, there's, you know, gorgeous mountains and everything in between. You've got ancient history everywhere you go from all these civilizations that have lived through there. Um, you've got these old towns with old streets and, you know, like old castled cities and things like that. The food is incredible. Like you just can't go wrong with Turkey. The only problem with Turkey right now is the politics. I think that some people are a little wary to go there, but it's in it, but it's relatively affordable, you know? And I think it's one of those countries too, where things have been getting more expensive over recent decades because the, you know, they're, they're up and coming for sure. And, and the costs have, have gone up, but it's still not too expensive, you know? Um, another mid range place, China, like China's huge and it's it's hard to summarize one whole country like that. But um, there's so many really affordable places to visit in China where you'll just have like amazing experiences. 
Um, and again, it's hard to summarize, like from Beijing to Shanghai, even Hong Kong can be done on like a mid-range budget. Um, the inland cities, there's so many huge cities in China that have like millions of people that no one in America or Europe has even ever heard of. But you go there and you're just like, I've never heard of this place. Why is this like this booming metropolis with skyscrapers? And I've never even heard of this city before. And like you can have a real experience and get to know the locals. Um, a lot of people in Chinese are learning English especially the younger crowd um, coming out of school lately, and they all really want to talk to foreigners. Like they want to be part of the global community. They don't see us as the enemy. They don't see us as, they don't even really see us as economic competition. I think they just see us as like fascinating. The rest of the world to them is fascinating and they want to be part of it. And they really want to meet travelers and meet new people. Um, and there's ancient history, there's natural landscapes, I hope you like Chinese food because it's amazing because <laughs> the Chinese food in China is not really anything like the, the typical Chinese restaurants we have at home. Right. Um, there's big cities and small rural farming towns like I just I've been to China twice and it's just it's terrific. Um, and tack on a trip to Mongolia while you're there. It, that was also terrific. Yeah, that would be terrific. My experience with China and it was fleeting. You know, it was three weeks or so, but it was get out of the cities or at least to Beijing, Shanghai, get out. I mean, see it. it it's certainly something to be seen. It's like going to New York, right? Like uh, You're probably not going to travel all the way there and not see it at all, but get out of the cities, get out in the countryside, and it's, it's such a different world. I mean, you could say that, oh, yeah, you get out of the New York City and you drive an hour and a half, and you're in the farmlands. Like, okay, sure. In China, well. <laughs> you get out of Beijing and you're, it's like you've gone back in time 150 yes. years. I mean, it's, it's such a stark difference. Yeah. So. Like there are towns that have only gotten electricity in the last few years and there are towns that there are not on a train line or whatever. So they don't get a lot of visitors and they, you know, they just don't know what to expect. They're very friendly, but they, you know, they're not expecting people to come see them and they're, they show off their homes. They show off their farmland. They're very proud of it. They're, they're a proud people and they're very nice and welcoming and, the landscapes are beautiful. The people are friendly. Um, it was great. All right. We're not at 2,000 destinations yet. But yeah, well, you, I've you, got <laughs> one more mid-range place. All right, one I, more mid-range, and I want to hear a splurge, too. I want to hear the budget traveler's splurge. Yeah. Um, Ethiopia was, hands down, one of the best countries we've ever been to. Um, my wife had actually been there before um, on like a family trip when she was younger, and we went back. We spent about a month there, and it was amazing. It's the kind of place like we talked about in Africa where you can do some of it cheaply, but other things you're going to want to splurge more. Um, you have Ethiopia is really kind of like two countries in one, like the northern half. It's very mountainous, lush green landscapes with a lot of history. This is your 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 traditional like Coptic Christian part of Ethiopia where you may have heard you've got like these amazing churches built into cliffs and stuff at Lalabella and a few other sites around around northern Ethiopia. And then when you go down to the southern part of Ethiopia, the landscape is more like it's more flat, like Kenya. Um, and there's a lot of tribes down there. There are tribes down there that until, you know, 15 years ago, they didn't even know they were in Ethiopia. They just thought that they were their tribe. And then all of a sudden, some, you know, white people showed up to, to tell them that they were doing research on tribes and stuff. Right. And so there's these tribes that still live the ways they have for a thousand years in huts that they built out of out of sticks and things like that and they do interesting things to their bodies like there's one tribe the, the mercy tribe that pierces their lips and you've see, probably seen them, they have the big disc plates in their in their pierced lips and things like that and and that's only one of a dozen tribes down there that all have their fat their 
fascinating to, to see and, and to meet these people. You kind of need to to plan that trip with a little bit more money um, because there are only a few places to stay and things like that. So that's why I kind of call it a mid-range, mid-range place. Oh, and Ethiopian food is terrific too, by the way, <laughs> if you've ever had it. Go to your nearest Ethiopian restaurant um, and and eat everything they give you. So yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. what I recommend everybody. Yeah, and, and mid-range, I think, uh, like we said, it can all run the gamut because it's all relative. But then what about your favorite do you have a favorite splurge or or and maybe you haven't even been to it yet maybe you're like all right if i'm splurging this is where i'm going that that's a great question i think there's a lot of places that i haven't been that are expensive because and i haven't been there because they're expensive and i I, i've seen photos and heard stories about places like the seychelles and i really want to go there um there's other places in africa i want to go to that i know are more expensive to visit um I really also would like to go to Spain and Portugal because I haven't been there yet, but I've heard that's the cheaper part of, of Europe at the same time. Um, I want to spend a lot of time in New Zealand because I have not been there yet. It's not cheap by any means, but, um, this, this idea of this, you know, I like to get outdoors. I like to see the mountains. I like to see the beaches, that kind of idea, um, of all that being like in one compact country <laughs> that you can drive around and see everything like really appeals to me. Well, and, and in a way too, because uh, Heather and I, that's been top of our list forever. And one of the th- reasons we haven't gone, or a few reasons, one, it's far. So you, you really have sure. to budget in uh, not a just flight. money, yeah. but time, right? Like you also have to be like, all right, well, I'm not going to go for two weeks. I'm going to go for a month or a month and a half to make it worth it. I know not everyone can, but for you and I who have the ability to do that, I'm not going all that way to go for two weeks. I want to go for at least a month. So it is, you know, that that's a bit of a detriment or at least, a, a, you know, an obstacle to get over. You're right with the the cost as well. But for us too, anyone I know who's been there, my sister lived there for a little bit. They just say, if you haven't been, just go. Like, I, I don't even, they don't even want to tell you anything more about it. They just, just go. Yeah, so exactly. I'm, I'm looking at it and saying, all right, well, the US dollar, pretty strong against the New Zealand dollar right now, as strong as it's been in that's a true. long that's time. True. And that's not something we have to get into now with currency and stuff. But obviously, you just be aware of it. Hey, if I'm going and I'm saving 20% on what I might pay, you know, three years ago, it's not going to be cheap, but it's certainly going to help take a little bit of sting right. out of it. Every bit counts when you're dealing with like an expensive place. Yep. You know, yep. 10% of a lot is a lot. <laughs> right, right. What about then, you've, you've done quite a bit of traveling. What sticks out in your mind is one of your biggest travel mishaps that you ever had? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, there have been pl- like times, like there's this time in India when we did get pickpocketed on um, the metro, the subway there in, in Delhi. Um, that was a mishap. But at the same time, that was so fast that um, like it was all over in two seconds. And we didn't we, we kind of figured something was happening because all these people were sort of pushing and shoving us. And then 30 seconds later, we realized that we had been pickpocketed. They didn't take anything major, but it was sort of like this emotional scarring event for us. It's hard. I think anytime when you are a victim of something like that, especially if it's one of the first times that you are, you kind of you kind of take it personally in a lot of ways and it can be hard. Um, but one of the more time consuming mishaps was um when we were traveling in West Africa, we were in Senegal trying to get across the western border into Mali, or sorry, the eastern border in, of Senegal and the western border of Mali to cross that border. And at the time, the morning we were planning to take the bus, uh, the, all the transportation infrastructure in Senegal declared a strike. They, um, Senegal has 
I'm not sure if they still have this, but at the time they had sort of a nationalized transportation system. Um, and all the bus drivers and bus operators just decided to strike that day. So we, you know, we didn't really understand what was happening. We just showed up and everybody was sitting at the bus station doing nothing. All the buses were parked, took us a while to figure out what was happening. And so we decided to try to arrange some sort of private transportation to get us out because our visa was ending soon. Um, a series of events happened where we found a, a local taxi driver to drive us. And it was a good five or six hours to the border. Um, he drove us in this really old Peugeot that was probably like 50 years old um, to the border. We had to go around several like police checkpoints, which looking back was really dumb. We had to go around several like areas where there were a bunch of um, bus drivers like on a picket line blocking the road. So he would he you know, he kind of knew where they were ahead of time. The driver knew and he, he would go off road. He'd drive off into the the landscape there is kind of this scrubby, bushy stuff. So you could drive a car around some of these bushes and stuff. He'd drive off road for a few hundred yards and then head on up a few, a mile up the road or whatever, and then get back on the main road and stuff. And at one point the car kind of broke down and it was overheating and we had to pour water into it. Oh, and this was the kind of car too, that every time you wanted to start it, you had to get four or five guys behind the car to push it, to get it started. So somebody would be like cranking the engine while the rest of us were pushing it and get it sort of cough itself to life, um, which was just it was humorous the first few times we did it when we were starting the journey. But toward the end, it was like, I can't believe we're doing this. We're going to die out here and stuff. At one point, it just we were in the middle of nowhere and it died and we had to let it cool off. So he's, you know, pouring water into the engine and he's asking us about our favorite TV shows. And he says something like, do you like Jack Bauer? I love 24. And, you know, watching this, t you know, we're talking about American TV shows. Well, in the back of my mind, I'm like, are we ever going to get out of here? <laughs> um, but we made it. Um, it ended up being a good trip. It ended up being like one of the most kind of memorable travel experiences ever had because we kind of like this driver really helped us. Several other people along the road helped us. Um, we got to know some of the people we got to, we stopped in some of these small towns on the side of the road that we never would have seen otherwise. And when we got to the border of Mali, um, because of what was happening, we kind of had to talk to the, some of the border people a little bit more than the other, than, than what would normally typically just be a stamp out and a stamp in. We kind of had longer conversations with people about what things were really like in Senegal versus Mali and things like that. Mali has embraced capitalism for the better, whereas Senegal was sort of stuck on this sort of like socialist um, government. I think we met some French people traveling in Senegal and they said they took the French government and they took out everything good and they left everything that was bad. And that's why you had this sort of socialist bus system where everybody could just go on strike and bring down the whole system. Uh, and, and we were shocked when we got to Mali and we got on this like brand new coach bus that was like something that we'd have in Europe or the U.S., and um, we're in Africa and we're riding this sort of luxury bus. And it was sort of like, that's the difference, you know, and we learned we learned a lot of things in Africa. I highly recommend everybody go to Africa. And don't just go to one place, go to lots of different places to see how the people are, are are becoming part of the global community because it's an amazing place, not just for the animals, but for the people. Right. It is fascinating. And I love borders. I love borders when that happens. You know, when you yeah. go from <laughs> Vienna, which is like this whitewashed, beautiful city, and then you end up at the bus station in Bratislava and you're like, oh, okay. And we always tell this. I'm like, if anyone wants to see the difference between Western and Eastern Europe, 
go to Vienna, take an hour bus trip to Bratislava. And Bratislava, Old Town, beautiful. But I mean, outside of that, it's just, it's hard scrabble type stuff. And I love when you, you cross a border and, you know, nothing has really changed, but everything has changed. It's cool when you have those type of mishaps and especially looking back because you have an experience that, that you could never imagine, you could never pay for, and it's just something that comes up. Speaking of that, what do you guys have coming up in the pipeline, both for budget your trip and maybe in your personal lives as far as travel? Um, we just did a trip down to Disney World with our daughter. So as far as trip go, trips go, um, we're kind of planning our next trip. We're thinking next summer to do to do something in Europe, like I said earlier, Spain and Portugal we haven't been to. We're thinking maybe spending some summer months there um, because our daughter is four. We kind of want to use like maybe pick a city and use it as a base instead of moving around a whole lot. We're a little more sedentary, um, but voluntarily so. Um, I think that um, as far as budgetyourtrip.com goes, like we are in the process of adding, like in addition to just continuing to grow the amount of data we have, we want to add a lot more practical planning guides. And that's kind of what we're focusing on now is like guides that help people plan their trip. You know, given the nature of the data, it's all about how much stuff costs. We want to combine that with like, here's what you should do and here's how you do it. Here's how you get there. Here's the kind of things you can expect when you get there from a practical standpoint, because that's something that, that I think we always struggled with. There are always a lot of good guidebooks out there, but it's hard sometimes to find information on the web that's really like, here's the information that will help you survive in a place <laughs> versus, you know, here's the information that inspires you to visit a place. There's, you know, you can go and look at amazing photos of pretty much any place in the world and then you'll get so inspired and you want to go there, but then how do you make that happen? both financially and practically right so um and i think if you do a, if you do a, if you do a big tour it's easy but if you want to save money and do it independently you kind of have to plan it and and i love that because you are that type like you're creating what you wanted and and creating what someone like me wants i'm an independent traveler but that doesn't mean i always just want to show up somewhere and have no idea what's happening in fact nowadays I mean, when I was younger, cool, maybe a little more into that, especially with a kid, especially getting older, you know, you're like, I don't just want to get dropped in and, and have no idea. Like, let me come in with an idea of what I'm expecting and then let me try to get off the beaten path in the way that I want or get into situations that are unexpected or that that are these authentic travel experiences. But that doesn't mean I don't want to know anything before I get to a country. I, I want to know how to get from the airport to downtown. I want to, you know, all that kind of stuff that I always have to Google, like, how to get from Barcelona Airport, you know, whatever, to, to downtown. It's like, again, a lot of times the guidebooks aren't really focusing on that. So that's awesome, man. And and I obviously, I've been on your site quite a bit. And I love I love even just comparing places I've been to, as you mentioned, to see, hey, is this in line with, with what I experienced? And more often than not, it's very, very close. I'm looking, I'm like, oh, yeah, like that's basically what we paid for a hostel or that's what we paid for a meal. So... Um, I just want to thank you, Brian, for, for coming on for uh, today, for creating a resource that is so incredibly valuable and useful for every traveler out there, whether you're budget, mid-range, splurge, or whether you think you're mid-range, but you're really splurge <laughs> or whatever, no matter where you are on that scale, you can get tons of great information over at Budget Your Trip. It, it really, truly is incredible. And I know it's been a, a labor of love and a long time coming, and a lot of people have, have helped with that and put their time and effort into it. So remind people one more time how they can come get a hold of you. And then also, 
if there's someone who wants to include their stuff into the whole um, spreadsheet and into the whole database, what should they do when they get to budget your trip? Sure. So you can go to budgetyourtrip.com and of course you can contact us through the website. Um, we're happy to answer any emails or questions people may send. But yeah, when people go, you can sign up at the top. There's a, a, a link to sign up and it's free to sign up. And once you do, you can uh, you just start create throwing. a trip. You just hit the start a new trip button and you start entering your expenses. Um, and And then once you do that, all of your expenses start to contribute to the averages. Um, it's really easy. We try to make it to be easy as possible because we know that there is a lot of information that a person would need to enter, right? If you're going to enter every expense you you do, that's a lot. That can be a lot of work, and we we recognize that. But but people do it, and and you do get something in return. You get to see your budget, you know, broken down with charts and graphs. So it kind of helps you plan your own spending, right? In addition to contributing. Yeah. I love I love that there's both sides of the coin there. Like one, you can enter your information and see how your stuff all breaks down and track it. And then if you've been to a place and then conversely, if you've never been to a place, you get to see what other people have spent. Like so it's it's awesome on both levels, whether you've been there and you want to enter your expenses or whether you want to figure out expenses for other places. So you guys can check it out, budgetyourtrip.com. And uh, of course, we'll link everything that we talked about in the show notes. There's also a great FAQ page. I should shout that out too, because you guys did a good job breaking down, hey, here's a question I have. Here's the answer. So there's a good stuff on that too. So we'll link everything up in the show notes. You can get that. Yeah, of course. It's, you know, that that's what that's kind of in my mind, the hallmark of a good website. When I go and I'm like, I think I know what to do. Let me go to the, either the start here or the FAQ. And if they explain it concisely and in a way that I'm like, all right, I get this. I'm I'm sold. You know, you could tell people have taken some time and thought about it. You guys have thought about it for now like nine years. So uh well <laughs> what flatters me to hear you say you like it because it is one of those things where it's like it's our baby, you know, not our not our <laughs> not our natural childbirth baby, but our, you know, our work baby. And it's something that we've been working on for so long and something that we've we, we originally built because we thought we would want to use use it right we kind of built it for ourselves knowing that other travelers were in the same boat and and when i ever tell anytime i meet somebody who's like i've seen that site or i've heard of that site and now it seems like in the last few years it's been happening more and more and i just every time i'm like i'm like flattered that that somebody's using it somebody likes it because it's like uh, my wife and i have put our heart and soul into it and it's just we're just trying to get it to the point where it can be a valuable resource i and and it and it is there and and you should it's that little sense of pride that you you took something that didn't exist, you made it, and now other people are using it. And you guys should be proud because it's awesome. So we'll link everything in the show notes, guys. ExtraPackOfPNs.com slash shows. You can get this, the show notes for here and, and all the other 300 plus episodes there as well. Brian, I just want to say thank you again for taking time out and uh, hanging oh, out with me. thank you. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us the number one rated travel podcast in the world. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris in the morning
the city with the most expensive hotels in the world, at an average, an average of $308 per night, were you able to guess it, is Geneva, Switzerland. And you can bet that when I was making $1,000 a month as an intern living in that area, I was not frequenting those hotels.